a lot's changed in uh, since we first started. It's it's all come full circle though, John, because we did our very first episode right there in your studio. You did. Yeah. uh, We've got four seasons of Score the podcast. Now we've got more Score and. and let's I'm, not forget I'm really excited also, to talk to you. It's been a while, but this all kind of started with the documentary and us coming in and you being yep. so gracious with your time. And it, we've never mentioned this, yep. uh, I don't think, in any of the things that we've done since then about score. But um, I remember the first question that we asked you, uh, you were such a good sport about it. We had structured you know, this whole kind of rundown of questions. We got it, we're going to hit this. Right. We did a whole prep session like – make sure that we don't waste John's time. It's going to be, you know, very valuable. And we get in there and we're like, okay, we just need some quick answers right off the top, kind of loosen them up. And then we'll be free flowing the rest of the, the rest of the uh, conversation. And the first question was something that was so ridiculous. And uh, it, it was something to the effect of like, what does music mean to you? <laughs> and you were such a good sport oh, that you were like, oh, and then you gave a very poetic response. And we were like, perfect, <laughs> perfect. This is great. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad I'm, you know, I, I, I'm not a professional at this stuff, but I, I can talk. I can't expound on things. So just well, you, pro- you kind of have to be like that when you're dealing with directors and everyone's yeah. trying to get to the same goal, but you may not always be speaking the same language. Correct. Yeah. Uh, I do that every day really with, um, you know, whoever I'm working with yesterday was no exception. I, you know, we had a long uh, sort of meeting yesterday for one of the first in-person director meetings in the last two years, which is pretty, pretty cool, pretty interesting. And uh, we're all vaxxed up and everything was great. So, but, but that's exactly right. It's sort of trying to interpolate what the director is sort of looking for and finding that com- communication, uh, conduit, you know, to, to really get, get the gist of what they're saying. So it is, it is important to um, have some kind of communication skills of some kind. I'm wondering with the, the, the situation that we've been in, you say you haven't been in the room with people, but you've, you've worked on a lot of projects during this pandemic and we see on social media with Orville and um, home alone, the the new, uh, uh, episode of that series. Quite a few um, coming up. Has this, yeah. has, has yeah. there anything, has anything about the pandemic and the way things are helped you navigate multiple projects? Is it easier for you to be able to hit four meetings on a zoom and, and get right to work? Or what do you prefer? Is there anything you can take from this that you may change your workflow? Well, that's a great question. I think everything's changed. Um, Zoom is a double-edged sword. You guys can imagine sort of if you've got back-to-back Zooms or you've got two or three in a day, which is a lot for me, um, there's no time to write. So what I've found is it's good in the sense that obviously with everybody wanting to stay safe, the Zoom has enabled us to communicate. It's enabled us to um, record virtually uh, and and talk about what we're doing uh, real time. And that that's helpful. I think the other good thing about it is that we're number one, able to communicate and to record virtually. But, um, you know, there is that interaction of being in the same room that is kind of hard to, to beat. 
Um, I do like the idea of having Zooms and not having 18 people in my room, as it were, everybody with a different opinion. And that could be tough, you know, if there are varying ideas or opinions, that could be hard to navigate in, in, in a room. But with Zoom, it's a little bit easier. You know, you can kind of, <laughs> kind of uh, you know, focus on the person that, that you need to focus on. But double-edged sword, has it changed the work flow? I, I would just say that, that it's it's very time-consuming sometimes on Zoom. And, you know, being that the, we're in a creative, uh, that's what I do for a living is trying to be creative. Uh, it can be a little bit demanding on the time uh, that is spent, you know, and, but that we're all dealing with that. I bet you guys yeah. are, are also. So I would just say probably to crystallize that there's good and bad and challenges to, to doing it. On One Zoom of the most too. interesting things that I've um, taken away from this, and, and this was actually uh, Peter Bobbitt's the, the uh, sound editor who I think you may have uh, interacted with him a little bit on Mighty Ducks. He worked on that too. But the um, yeah. he said like the big difference with the Zoom thing is that you don't have the ability to really build a rapport outside of just working down this narrow alley of, you know, here's the topic we're discussing. Because then if you have a break or something, you know, you don't go out and get a coffee with somebody. You go off, you step away from your computer business, and yeah. – um, Everyone does their own thing, and then you come back and you talk business again. So you don't really have the ability to kind of, you know, find that that kind of human connection with somebody. And he said, in a creative field, you can start to feel that, and that's something you have to consciously try to, I don't know, make up for it. Do, do you feel that at all when you're doing things on Zoom versus in person? I, I think that's a great point that he made. Um... I'm a little bit different. I think I have a little bit different opinion. I'll give you an mm -hmm. example. <clears throat> On Mighty Ducks, um, we would we we would Zoom having spotting sessions, which, as you guys well know, and your listeners might know, it's where we sit down and and we talk and we decide where the music's going to start and stop. Um, and on in the case of Mighty Ducks, half hour show. Um, but our spotting sessions would go on because we, we would be spotting sound and music at the same time. So in terms of eating up the day, it would eat up the day a lot faster. Um, so for me, it's a little bit easier because um, I can turn off my camera, turn off my mic, and then, you know, run and get a coffee and still hear what's going on. Oh, so that's true. Yeah. I think that has been, that's been kind of cool, but he's right. The, the human interaction of it all is missing really. And yesterday, again, having people in for the first time, I, the director gave me a hug. I gave her a hug and it was really cool because that's the kind of thing you're missing. You're, you're missing that as you're saying the one-on-one -on -one of it all. She even said something interesting. She said, oh, you're really tall. <laughs> and I thought it was so cute. I thought it was so cute because, yeah, we don't know. We don't know tall, small, you know, uh, really yeah. much about each other. And, and it's so different than a human interaction in a meeting. So is it the different. kind of thing? I think how we navigate I, it. I'm curious. The, 
you know, they, they say this about writing a lot. You know, if you aren't constantly writing and and constantly exercising those muscles and kind of keeping everything fresh and evolving too, if you aren't constantly doing that, you tend to there tends to be a little rust that accumulates. Do you feel like that ability to communicate with other people in the room is something where everyone's going to be a little bit rusty for a little while? That's a, that's such a great point. Yes, I agree. I totally agree. And I can talk about that in my own career. Um, if I'm honest, let, let's say I've got a flow going. I love to talk about flow with like my friend, Robert Rodriguez. He's, he teaches classes on flow. And if you're in a flow as an artist, the last thing you want to do is be stuck in a four or five hour review, review session on a Zoom, even though you have to do that. So yeah, it, it even works in the instant and in the moment too. So that if I'm on a longer Zoom for a day, you know, I'm, I'm out of the flow and I have to then come back early the next morning and get back into the flow. So when people are in the room, it's a little easier because I can, I can, for instance, I can present a piece of music and let's say the director, he or she has some issues with it. I can then go right over to my keyboard and play that piece of music and change it on the spot. Mm. That's missing. And, and that that's kind of a crucial piece that is missing because now it's sort of like, oh, I'll make that fix and then I'll send it we'll to you and another we'll jump back on it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah, the rust and the interruption of the flow is very apparent and, and difficult to handle sometimes. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, I, it's cool that we're talking to you at the time that we are because I refer to you on Score the Podcast uh, and in just social situations as the king of holidays um, because you are Mr. Hocus Pocus, Elf, uh, Jingle Jangle, got some great uh, feedback, and, and it was, I think yep. it was Oscar shortlisted last year. Yeah. Um, and uh, you've got Hocus Pocus 2, which I saw on your IMDb as, as a, in pre-production. Is that, um, that that's confirmed, obviously? You're, you're on board for that? That is not confirmed. Um, oh. So, you know, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. <laughs> uh, but no, that's not confirmed. But thank you for that. Yeah, I'm the holiday holiday composer. And I don't know how that happened. Um, and then the Gary Marshall. There's are you big? Like if we if we, we drive by your. Yeah, oh, that's right. Valentine's All the other holidays, Day, too. If, so if we drive by your house, is it like the big Halloween house on the block right now, John? Are you like waiting uh, to. Very shortly, it will be. We're not quite there yet. But yeah, it will be. <laughs> Yeah, it's weird. I, I have all of that to, you know, to thank Gary Marshall for. Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, New Year's, New Year's Eve. Eve. Is that right. a, that's sort of a holiday. Yeah. And then, yeah. Draft Focus Day. It's kind Christmas of a holiday movie. for football fans. <laughs> we could keep Good going. What ball. do you have against Thanksgiving, um, John? Yeah, yeah when, when are we getting well, the feast? You know what? 
I think I've done a Thanksgiving special in my my day, but I don't remember the name of it. I don't think anybody remembers. But um, yeah, I I'm just so grateful for that, guys. You know, because every time of the year <clears throat> there's maybe something playing of mine on, and I'm, again, nobody's more grateful than I am for that. So yeah, I guess I'm a holiday guy. But see, this is what's interesting about it, John. There's a million holiday movies made, and you've got at least two that are in the all-time great that cycle that anyone would love to get one nibble. I mean, it's like the yeah. the Mariah Carey Christmas song. Like everyone writes a Christmas song, but if you can get into that group of movies that people latch onto, did you do you have any sense when you're when you're working on Elf or Hocus Pocus? Like they're going to become these people are going to love this or <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's. I, how well, do you even? Oh God, no! It? I had no idea, guys. I had no no conception. I'll, let, let me add another one to the list: the Passion yes. of Christ. That's right. Easter. Easter. Now that um, one, you must have had a sense. No, that one's going to be huge. No, no, really? No, man. No, no. We we thought the opposite. You know, really. I mean, and Mel and I would sit by the coffee maker in the morning, and I and he might be in a in a mood and I'd make him the coffee and I, I, I Mr. Sunshine. I always try to get everybody happy. And I guess that's part of my job. And uh, we had no idea. We thought it was just going to be a big train wreck and a crazy, you know, like <laughs> we'd be ostracized from the business forever, you know, but no, when, when you're working on these things, I compartmentalize it to the point where I don't think too far ahead. I really don't. I, I'm always concerned about, making the, the very best music I can make and come what may. And that's really the truth. There's no, there's no afterthought. I mean, you know, to give you an example, Hocus Pocus was a disaster. It came out um, during the summer months of, of whenever, 1992, three, whenever that was. And it was a bomb and it bombed and nobody watched it. And it was a disaster and then Hocus Pocus started to take on a life of its own on the Disney Channel, of all places, and slowly became the perennial that it is. Elf was a fluky hit right off the bat. Like, we didn't know either. Favreau, his first major studio movie, really, and he had no idea. We had no idea. So it's by... It's luck of the draw, you know, it's fate, I guess. And if you're very lucky like me and you guys are right, and I don't take it lightly at all, I'm incredibly grateful to have not one but two films that that are very, very much beloved in, in our perennials. And very grateful for that. How do you write holiday music when it's fall? or summer or, you know, like it's not Christmas and you're, do you, are you humming Christmas tunes around the house in like odd seasons? It must be weird Christmas to get in period. that zone at a different <laughs> yeah. time of the year. Yeah. Uh, no, that's a great question. Um, I think a lot of it is whatever your personality is. Uh, our friend, Bruce Brownton, who I know you guys have spoken with my good friend and amazing composer, Bruce, we, we talk about this kind of thing. And I think, we gravitate towards what our personalities are. And I, I I think that's true. So my personality is sort of 
that. I, I grew up with great parents uh, in a time when, you know, late 50s, when everything was rosy and, you know, we all believed in Santa Claus and, and we, well, we still do. But um, I think it's your personality. I mean, look at Danny Elfman. I think Danny creates what his sort of his personality might be. Um, so I guess I'm, I'm just that I love the holidays. I love Christmas. Halloween is my favorite. And yeah, I guess, I guess we just sort of live in, in our own personality in our own world in our own bubble. And I guess you're right. And in terms of creating holiday music or Christmas music, I just sort of know the vernacular enough that I just pull on, you know, my little, open my little bag of tricks, as it were. And I guess that's what I do. When I wrote Hocus Pocus, I, you know, was I, I'm a big fan of John Williams, of course, who isn't, and Witches of Eastwick. And, and um, I listened to Paul Duca a lot, you know, Sorcerer's Apprentice for, hmm. and that was actually, Sorcerer's Apprentice was my main influence on Hocus Pocus. And I would listen to it constantly and had the score and, and that became part of my, um, my part of my makeup I guess you'd say and so if you study as a composer other people's work and then you try to make it your own of course and then you know it comes out the way it comes out so I guess there's a little personality component to that too I would say I hope that answered the question yeah, no. There's a um it's just a, it's Oh, sorry, Kenny, go ahead. Oh, I I was just going to I didn't have a follow-up <laughs> question. I was just going to say it's 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 impressive to me to be able to channel that cuz it's I feel like ho the holiday season is such a mood and yeah. you kind of go through it in your personal life but then to jump right back in it in March or something it seems like it would be difficult to be just like, "Oh, I got to hear sleigh bells all year <laughs> round this year." <laughs> Well, you know, I, I think if you do it long enough, and you, you guys are old pros too, although you're very young, um, you you go back to those things that, that you're familiar with. And, you know, I'm familiar enough with that stuff that um, it doesn't matter, you know, hopefully anybody out there that wants to hire a composer, you know, it, it if you're experienced enough, you just sort of go back to that. And yeah, I do. So... Summer, fall, winter, you know, I'll, I'll create whatever is needed. And sleigh bells were needed on Home Alone. So there you go. That's uh, the upcoming um, Home Sweet Home Alone, right? It'll be on Disney Plus? It will be on Disney Plus, and it is called Home Sweet Home Alone. I call it Home Alone because uh, it, it it's a reboot. Not, not a reboot. It's a adjunct it's it's the next version i would say next generational version of home alone and it's quite wonderful it's quite funny dan mazer uh is our wonderful director writer who um did a lot of the borat movies uh and mm. hilariously funny great comedic cast and too we just had a ball doing it and oh the cast is tremendous and um i think the best most joyful thing for me was to be able to work and utilize some of John Williams, um, immortal themes. Oh, and wow. I, 
Yeah, I got to. Well, I hope I'm not spoiling it, but no, no. I had a, Tell us I, more. I got, well, I I don't want to spoil the whole thing, but I did <laughs> get to interface with John, and um, and we had a num- we had a couple of really lovely chats, and um, if you guys, I know you guys have probably interviewed him or been lucky enough to talk to him. If one is lucky enough to talk to him, he's the most gracious, um, kind man that one could meet. And um, so we had a chat about it because, you know, there was a desire obviously to use some of his themes. How could you not? I mean, silly. They're iconic. Yeah. So I got to chat with him a little bit. They're iconic. And so I got to sort of work with them a little bit and change them as needed for the new film. And uh, that was really a joy, but it, I can't recommend it highly enough. It's very funny. It's um, sort of taking the Home Alone spirit and bringing it a, in, into today's world. And it's very funny. It's very funny. There is a kind of concrete sound that can make something sound like Christmas. Staying on the holiday uh, conversation, what would be sure. the sound of I say this just because you mentioned Halloween is your favorite. What's the sound of Halloween? Like, what is the, is there a certain makeup, a certain series of chords or a certain kind of eerie sound or something that kind of makes something identifiable? The foundation of it, yeah. yeah. That's a great question. I've I've never really put that into words. Um, I've done a number of Halloween-themed things over the years. Um I think it's, you know, it all does sort of go back to the classics. And whether it's Paul Ducat, Sorcerer's Apprentice is a good example. Um, there are rhythms like triplets. Those are triplets. That's very, that's very Halloween-y, <laughs> Halloween-ish. Um, there are, you know, Halloween is... There are minor chords and, and interesting chordal inter- intervals that work with Halloween. Um, choir is kind of a neat. Mm. I mean, I, I would throw a big bone to, to my friend Danny Elfman, like, you know, um, Nightmare Before Christmas or Edward Scissorhands. These are very kind of Halloweenish. Um, Tim Burton is obviously a big Halloween person. Um, and I think that there are just those sounds of Halloween. It's sort of the, the minor key, um, modal, eerie sound, eerie strings, eerie woodwinds, and, and choir. And I think, again, looking at other people's work, people's work like Tim Burton and Danny would be right up there. That those are, I, I would, I would say those are the sound of. Halloween as is Hocus Pocus and Witches of Eastwick. I think they all share a DNA there. In, in thinking of that, though, did that exist before then? Or how does that become, you say, you know, we nod to Danny and, and this and that, but as like as human beings, we sort of identify with that. And now moving forward, when we hear those types of sounds, because it yeah, reminds it's come us to of kind a of film or something. experience. Yeah, but but before then, let's say you know, 
what was it or how, is that just how it becomes people like you make something that makes it identifiable to the general public and the next I, thing you know it's kind of woven into our dna i think so i i honestly think so i mean i we could go back and musical history i mean night on bald mountain is musorsky is a great example of you know the great russian composer who turn of the century wove wove that i think I, I would say it's more of a 20th, 20th century kind of phenomena where because of the advent of film and, and television, I mean, there, there were those funny television specials that we all, you know, those of us of a certain age have grown up with. And they, they, they were kind of Halloween in a different way. There were sort of the, um, well, the erstwhile, like the Christmas version of, of that, where there were sort of, different sounds that you equate with those holidays. But I think that in the main, I think that that's right. That, that um, some of those film scores, some of those kinds of things are, have become ingrained. And I think, um, you know, I wish I could quote more, um, you know, of the great composers, more of the literature from them. But, you know, again, Sorcerer's Apprentice was pretty, yeah, pretty good as as a sort of a light post as to as to what that sound became. I think that that would be that would be one I would point to. It must be pretty cool for you. Um, I know that you guys have done some hocus pocus nights and it's plays in theaters here in L.A. I'm not sure if it does around the country uh, the same, but yeah, to to have worked on something that you said kind of flopped and then it resurfaces and now you're going to these nights <laughs> right. where people are dressing up they're singing and and you know they're loving this film that you did behind closed doors and probably thought i'm never going to hear from this thing again um what are those nights like for you to to see people coming out for something that oh. you thought maybe was never going to be seen again the best i mean they're the best it, um you know i was one of those early believers in the film. I guess that's because of who I, who I am and creating the music. I mean, you always want to believe, you always want to believe that this will, you know, catch hold with the public. But I kind of, I was carrying the torch for a long time in this movie. So I, for one would, when these events started to show up and I would get invited to them, I would always try to go because it, it's so special. It's just, you know, my belief turned into the belief of the general public turned into a phenomenon of these, you know, people that Hocus Pocus is their favorite Halloween movie. I think a lot of people, maybe that's their favorite Halloween movie, that and Nightmare. Um, so it's, it's joyful. It's amazing. We, we did an event the other night, Kenny Ortega and I at the El Capitan theater here in LA. And it's, it's amazing. I mean, how, how to describe it. It's just all your, all your dreams of something that would mean something to people and, and focus, focus and health being two of the, probably two of my biggest of those ilk. Um, it means everything. We did, a Hocus Pocus event right before COVID, I think a couple, two, three years ago in, in a uh, graveyard, in a cemetery uh, in LA and with nice. a huge crowd. I think that was, 
the 25th anniversary, perhaps. And it was a television special. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. I mean, it really doesn't get better. Than that. John, you're always so generous with your time. And I just wanted to kind of wrap things up a little bit and ask you a question about what you look for. This may be a lengthier answer, but what you look for when you're taking on a new project, new director, new, you know, team of people, and they reach out and they say, we love your score from such and such. And we'd really like mm. you to consider such and such, you know, whatever we just shot. Um, what are the kind of character? Obviously it's going to, you know, for every composer, this will be a little bit different. Um, but what mm. are the traits that you look for in stories that you like to be able to write music to those kind of narrative beats or story beats or, you know, whether they're inspirational beats, maybe in some cases, but what are those things that you look for you where you say, wow, this would be a really cool story to do music for? Well, that's a great question. I think it's a whole lot of things. I think it is for me personally. Yeah. If, if I have a connection to the subject matter, that's number one. Um, number two is, you know, what's it, what's the cast like, you know, sometimes there might be a film by a newer filmmaker and we're, you know, that I've never heard of or that is just starting their career, but maybe they've written this amazing script or there's a cast that it's like a killer cast that, so there's a lot of factors. There's also the nuts and bolts for me of, you know, story connection cast. There's also schedule, you know, sometimes, especially nowadays. Just the logistics. Yeah. It, yeah. Logistics of being able to do, cause I'm very particular. I, I don't have people helping me write me the, my music. Sometimes I do if there's a real panic and the time crunch is such, but I, I just don't do that as a rule so that I'm like the, the little cobbler who's making one shoe at a time. And, uh, that's, I take pride in that. I sometimes it drives me crazy because I, I, I care so much about every note of the music. So schedule is a big part of it. Schedule, um, the basic structure of the film. Is it, I have a good spidey sense now. Um, is this film going to tax me emotionally to the point where oh, interesting. it's going to drive yeah. me crazy? Yeah. In other words, what, Who's who are the group of people? Who are the who are the producers? Who are the people that maybe I've worked with or or that are very very experienced that I know that I can deal? It's a lot of that. It's it's all the above because for me, time is so precious these days, and I have a family. Family's everything to me. Um, it's it's uno number <laughs> numero uno. It's number one. So. If I find something that I think is going to be a real time crunch and let's say all those other pieces aren't there, I'll say no. And I have no problem saying no because, you know, I've done enough in my professional career that I, if, if I've tread the same ground before and it looks like it might not be as good or a different, then I'll, then I'll say no. So I'm, I'm more particular now than I, than I used to be. However, having said that, you know, we are, 
we are freelancers, us composers. Mm -hmm. And our initial knee-jerk reaction is to say yes. <laughs> and it's it's to want to please. I'm a people-pleasing kind of person. So I, I love that. I love the input of doing, saying yes to a project and then getting on the project and then having people like the music. And I guess that's ingrained as a, in all of us as children, you know, do we, do we, are we people pleasers? And then can we then, and for me, I'm a people pleaser that I have to gauge what, what is involved with jumping into something. So God, that's a long winded answer, but it's all the above. It's all the above. It could be, a great story that needs to be told, but maybe there are people that I'm not familiar with, but they're telling a great story. So you go along for the ride in that, in that regard. And I, and I will say that I've been really lucky. I've, I've been pretty good with, you know, hanging in and going on these journeys with all these wonderful filmmakers and producers in my life that, just, I mean, Ivan Reitman comes to mind. Ivan Reitman is, I've done a couple of, I think two or three movies with Ivan. And we've become like my older brother, you know, and you have, you have the good and the bad. And sometimes the work entails a lot of really hard work. And same with Mel Gibson. You know, we, we created something that was very deep and, and very meaningful for us. Um, so I don't know. I hope that answers your question. I don't. Do you, do you think I, I though that like saying no? I I I will say no for a lot of reasons. Of course, but, yeah. You know, we've we've talked to composers who you know um, I, I forget who we were talking to was it Elliot Goldenthal about like you mm. know the ability to to stop doing what you're doing and and just say yeah. I'm just going to retire and I'm going to hang it up. I've done all types of movies, well, but. Do you think it's the relationships and the people you love working with most that like you can't say no to an Ivan Reitman? He if he calls like you got to that's your guy. I mean, you just not or John Favreau calls up and you can't yeah, get out. It's like, OK, well, yeah, this is once you be get fun. in, you can't really get out. <laughs> no, absolutely. You guys are absolutely right. Um, it's relationships. And yeah, if I have a certain, you know, a certain list of people like John's and. How about Robert Rodriguez and those kinds of people that are very much my brothers or my sisters, whoever it may be. And it's hard to say no. But I will say this. Interesting, Elliot said that. I had this discussion, and I'm not going to mention his name, but we, we, uh, we're on baseball teams together. And there's another very famous composer that you guys would know. And we were talking about it over the weekend. And... He approached me and we're almost the same age. And he said, Hey, you know, is there ever a time, John, where you're thinking of just hanging it up like Michael Jordan or something? Yeah. I, said, I said, yeah, I think there's going to be a time, but I think we all individually have to decide when that is. And to your point, never really giving it up because there might be just like you're saying, maybe, maybe you're a little more, particular with with who you're working with um yeah. but if there are certain people that call you're of course you're going to do their work and right. this friend of mine very fine composer had gone through something recently where he went to do a symposium uh in europe 
And he says, life-changing. Because I realized that Hollywood is not the end-all, be-all of everything. And I go, that's true. And um, I think that's what you realize over time with whatever you, including you guys, who are so young. You know, there may be a time when you when you go, I don't want to do these podcasts. I don't want to do this, but I'll do this. And yeah, I think it's always, off from it. always good to think about that. Um, however, but yeah, I have a cadre of of people that if they call, I, I'm there. I'm there. I'm Seth MacFarlane. You know, I'm doing this wonderful show called The Orville. Oh, great. The music and is so fun. I know. <laughs> it's, it's, and it's fun to do. You can imagine. Um, I don't know if I'll ever, I mean, if he calls, he calls, and I love to do things for him. Um, but he's one of those guys, you just get on the phone. It's fun to talk to him, you know? And I, I really feel that way about a lot of the guys that I, and, and women that I work with. Um, David Talbert. On Jingle Jangle, my new my new best friend, my brother. Um, yeah, if, if they call, you have a if you have a personal connection and a great friendship, it's really about that. can't leave them hanging. Yeah, no, it's really <laughs> about that. It's really about that. Uh, well, we're thankful that for your time again. You have a lot of things going on. Um, shameless plug: your restaurant is fantastic, and oh, uh, I can't wait thanks. to go back. I, uh, I, I saw that you went. I saw your post. That's very kind of you. Um, oh, it's delicious food. The people are great. And and the best musical dinner spot. I mean, it's not like, yeah, thank you. you know, a dive bar with a stage. Like, this is a very, very nice restaurant, but an unbelievable uh, AV setup for, yes. for music. And that's so kind great of you. Shout out. Artist. To, thank you for that. Um, shout out to our. One of our best friends. We're, we're, there's a group of us friends that are involved in the restaurant. Manny Marquin is the the he's the genius behind it. Uh, you mm. know, fabulous record producer, engineer, hugely successful Grammys everywhere. And uh, his concept has really taken off, and we're so pleased. And I invite you guys, Matt, if you haven't been, I there, haven't yet, but I'm anybody I'm going. <laughs> go. Anybody that's listening in the LA area, come on down. Um, it is a it's a recording studio in a fine restaurant, and it's amazing. We yeah, the, the control room is it's straight out of Warner's. Uh, I mean, it's yeah. amazing. Um, it so is. it's called Verse. Go check it out. Um, and then, John, I wanted to ask really quick because you have all these films coming up, but. The big thing is people doing concerts. Do you have any, are you going to do a concert of John Debney stuff wow. um, at any point, any plan yeah. of doing that? Uh, well, thank you for mentioning that, um, Kenny. We're, we're so excited to reveal that we're going to be doing Elf Live to Picture uh, two nights in New York and two nights in Denver this year. Now, you might ask nice. why, why those two cities? Well, because we plan to take this out wide next year. So our goal would be to see everybody uh, in Hollywood and across the United States next year. So we're going to do this as sort of, you know, working out the kinks, making sure we've got a tremendous show. And um, I, I don't want to spoil it, but um, look, please look in, you know, into next year for, um, tickets and and things that are coming up and I, w I would also add we are working on my musical that we premiered in Salzburg Austria a couple of years ago 
And we're now turning turning that in, hopefully turning that into a film or a TV production. And so Amazing. those are two fun thing, two fun things that I'm really look forward to sharing with everybody. You know? Very, very yeah. cool. Um, John, thank you so much for your time, man. Yeah, with as all always, this going on, and, um, it's a, at, a treat to revisit with you. And to Lola as well, thank you for helping set all this up. She's and, right um, here, and she did it. It's wonderful. <laughs> wonderful seeing you guys. Great seeing you guys. And um, I, I'll, I'll never forget when we were up north, we, we had a nice uh, lunch or two. I even forget the event. We yeah, in the Bay Area. We did something there. at the Dolby Theater up the there. The Dolby the, Cinema, whatever it was. Yeah. And you were just talking about this wonderful score the film and now the podcast and i couldn't be more proud of you guys and thankful that you're you you know you're shining a spotlight on all of us crazy musicians so thank you thank you (laughs) it's it's a absolute pleasure we we love doing it and um again you are kind of the centerpiece around all of this starting so uh special place for you in the score family always oh thank you so much i'm just delighted to be a part of it so thank you John Debney, thanks for joining us on More Score.